great people in the Bible and just talk about him tonight. And that person is the Apostle John. And uh, we just want to have a bit of a look at his life and where he came from as a disciple with Jesus and then later on as a major apostle in the church at Jerusalem right through to the book of Revelation. We'll start off in Matthew chapter 4 and get a little bit of an insight into this man. Matthew chapter 4. And just in verse 18. And Jesus, walking by the Sea of Galilee, saw two brethren, Simon called Peter and Andrew his brother, casting a net into the sea, and they were fish or fishermen. And he saith unto them, Follow me, and I will make you fishers of men. And they immediately, the word means, left their net and followed him. And going on from thence, he saw other two brethren, James the son of Zebedee and John his brother, in a ship with Zebedee their father, mending their nets, and he called them. And they immediately left the ship and their father, and they followed him. So four of the uh, Lord's disciples and apostles were all fishermen, and they all got called within minutes of each other to follow the Lord. Um, something I point out straight away is that often when it mentions the two brothers, it puts James first, as it does in verse 21. James, the son of Zebedee, and John, his brother, which to me would indicate that James was the older one. And then you'd mention the older one first and so on. So we gather that John must have been pretty young. He lived right through to write the book of Revelation in 95 AD. So I'm guessing that he was only late teens. He was a very young. Other things indicate that John was very young. And um, the other thing that, of course, stands out here amazingly enough is that he was brought up to be a fisherman. His whole life had been as a fisherman. His dad was a fisherman. I'm guessing his granddad and his great-granddad were all fishermen. That was His life was laid out for him. And on, on, on this instant, he changed from being a fisherman, as did the others, and uh, they started to follow the Lord. Let's go to Matthew chapter 10. So that's the initial calling of John. Future, purely as a fisherman, all of a sudden becoming a uh, disciple uh, of the Lord. In John chapter, uh, Matthew chapter 10, and just in verse 2, now the names of the twelve apostles are these. The first, Simon, who is, who is called Peter and Andrew's brother, and James, the son of Zebedee, and John, his brother. Again, just to point out that always it seems with James first, and then John next, because he was the younger. Mark chapter 3, jump around through the Gospels a bit here. Mark chapter 3, and just one verse, and it just says there in verse 17, here it is again, And James the son of Zebedee, and John the brother of James, and he surnamed them Bornegis, to have you say that, which is the sons of thunder. Look up the word thunder there, you sort of think it might be explosive or dynamite or something. It just purely means provider or sucker, just we sang it in one of our choruses today. So to somebody who would provide, so the other thought for thunder is it brings rain. When there's a storm, it brings rain. And without rain, you don't, you don't survive. One way or the other, it was a blessing that these two brothers were going to be a blessing to the fellowship. Later on, of course, in the book of Acts, you have, um, Barnabas being renamed by the Apostles on that occasion, 
to uh, being the son of consolation. Maybe it's sort of something here. He's, they stood out out of the twelve with that name, a separate name, the sons of thunder. So he was already being a little bit special. Mark chapter 5, and just in verse 35. And while he spake, there came from the rule of the synagogue's house a certain which said, Thy daughter is dead. One of the great miracle stories here. Why troublest thou the master any further? As soon as Jesus heard the word that was spoken, he said unto the ruler of the synagogue, Be not afraid, only believe. One of the great statements in the Bible. And he suffered or permitted no man to follow. And he picks out these three. And we know he did it again and again. Peter, James and John his brother. He he cometh to the house of the ruler of the synagogue and seeth the tumult. There's a lot more there, but just picking on what happened. uh, In verse 41, he took the damsel by the hand and he said unto Talithukumai, which is being interpreted, damsel, I say unto thee, arise. And straightway the damsel arose and walked. So, again and again, just grab this one. as the sort of miracles that John constantly witnessed and saw. One of the great ones, but again, he was one of three that saw it. But the other nine didn't see it. So John, again, along with James and with Peter, often would be see things that the others didn't see. He's already sort of standing out amongst the disciples. Chapter 9. So there's a little bit of a controversy here where they sort of tried to make themselves stand out a bit of, ahead of the other ten. And they got themselves in a bit of trouble. One of the other Gospels says that mum was involved, that would be understandable. But just talks about the two brothers here. Verse 38, And Jesus said unto them, sorry, verse, um, I've jumped ahead too far. Verse 35, And James and John, the sons of Zebedee, came unto him, saying, Master, we would that thou shouldest do for us whatsoever we shall desire. I've had that, I'm sure you've had it too, when somebody comes up and says, promise you'll do something for me, and you think, I want to know what it is before I promise. You know, so here they're trying to commit the Lord before they tell him what it was, and he said, well, I want to hear what it is, what you want before I'll commit myself, you might say. What would ye that I should do for you? Verse 37. They said unto him, Grant unto us that we may sit, one on thy right hand and the other on thy left hand, in thy glory. So they wanted to get the sort of get ahead of the other ten. We want to be something special. Nothing wrong with the hunger and the desire to do it, but maybe a little bit of competition. I did think, by the way, that if he did grant that, the two brothers would have had a fight, which one was going to sit on the right, which one was going to sit on the left, you don't know, along that line. Jesus said unto them, and he asked them a question. You know not what you ask. Can you drink the cup that I drink of and be baptized with the baptism that I am baptized with? And they said, we can. And that's true, they could. The cup that he drank, by the way, was one of persecution and eventually death. And they did drink that one. And the baptism was, uh, of course, one of the both water baptism and the Holy Ghost. He said, yes, you can. Well, they said, we can. Jesus said, Ye shall indeed drink the cup that I drink of, and with the baptism that I am baptized with all shall ye be baptized. But to sit on my right hand and on my left hand is not mine to give, but shall be given to them for whom it is prepared. Another way of saying that was, you've got to keep going, guys. 
and um, and then you might be chosen, but you got to you got to go right through to the end, like past the Grant, brother Grant, past the Grant, just promotion there. I went through it today. He would he would punish me, kick me if I put that in front of his name. I think he's gone to sleep. And when the ten when the ten heard it, they began to be much displeased. So they caused a ruckus. The other ten said, "What are you doing? You're trying to get ahead of us, sort of thing." But that is typical a little bit of John. Often they'll say something like this, that two people came to him and said, well, they both didn't talk at the same time. One of them said, and I'm guessing from what I see here and there, even though James was the older brother, it was mostly John that was the more outspoken one. So go to chapter um, chapter 9 of Luke. Jump to the Gospel of Luke, chapter 9 of Luke. Verse 52, and this is just, just John. Verse 52, and sent, that's Jesus sent messengers before his face and they went and entered into a village of the Samaritans to make ready for him. And they did not receive him. You know, we know the story of how the Samaritans and the Jews hated each other because his face was as though he would go to Jerusalem or where the Jews are. And when his disciples, James and John, saw this this they said, Lord, wilt thou that we command fire to come down from heaven and consume them, as Elijah did? And he turned and rebuked them and said, You know not what manner of spirit you are of, for the Son of Man has not come but to has not come to destroy men's lives, but to save them. And um again, a little bit of my sons of thunder, who knows? The whole thought there was um let's wipe them out. How dare they not receive you, Master? We could do what Elijah did. And he said, hang on a second. We're not here for that. Well, this is not Old Testament. This is not the blood and the destruction of the Old Testament. And actually there was such a simple answer at the end there of verse um, verse 56, and they went to another village. You know, a lot of problems are like that. We make them into a mountain when they don't have to be. The simple answer was, no, we won't wipe them out. We'll just go to another village. And uh, all of this is life-building and experience-building for John and his brother, but others were particularly concentrating on John. Mark, back to the Gospel of Mark, Mark chapter 13. Now, this is the same as Matthew 24, where they sat against the Mount of Olives, and they asked the Lord about the end of the world and all that. But in, in Mark chapter 13, it puts a love a little bit, into it that is not in in Matthew 24, where it just says the disciples. But in Mark, it says which disciples. So in Mark chapter 13, verse 3, and he sat upon the Mount of Olives over against the temple, and Peter and James and John and Andrew asked him privately. So somebody had to do the talking. These four particularly, the old four fishermen, came in again and said, when's this going to be? They were as a separate group, you might say. Matthew 17, well-known story, of course, of the um, transfiguration. But just grab the first couple of verses. Matthew 17, verse 1. And after six days, Jesus taketh again, he separates these three, Peter, James, and John, his brother, and brings them up into a high mountain apart and was transfigured before them. Later on, John refers to that, that he was there. He saw it happen, as did Peter as well. And it goes back, we were there that day. Matthew 19, 
So Matthew 19, and just start reading just one verse, in verse 28. Uh, uh, Grant read this out this afternoon. It's a great, great reference to the disciples and what was promised to them. Verse 28, Verily I say unto you, you twelve, that ye which have followed me in, in, the rest, in the regeneration, when the Son of Man shall sit in the throne of his glory, ye also shall sit upon twelve thrones, judging the twelve tribes of Israel. So what an amazing promise. And again, particularly think about John today, that one day this young man was going to sit on a throne like a king and judge others. Um, let's have a look in uh, Luke 22. Funny when you get to talk up. I quite feel sorry for people that never get talks up. Because when you get a talk up, you have to do a lot of research and you learn things and you think you know it all and all of a sudden you see something you didn't know. In Luke 22 and verse 7, And then came the day of unleavened bread when the Passover must be killed. I've never noticed this before. It was only Peter and John, the team that was going to work together in the book of Acts. From the day of Pentecost onwards, Peter and John, and it's like the Lord picked these two out and said, just you two this time, I've got a job for you to do. Go and prepare us the Passover that we may eat. And they said, where? And so it goes on. So, combination of Peter and, and John, pretty important later on. In Mark chapter 14, verse 32, of course the time of the crucifixion has come, jumped through a lot of stuff there, and they were there to witness what the Lord went through, the agony he went through in the Garden of Gethsemane. Verse 32, he said, sit, sit ye here while I, I shall pray. And he taketh with him. Again, he separates these three from the other, in this case, eight, Judas Iscariot. Um, is he dead and gone? He's about to go, isn't he? Um, he wasn't there anyhow. He taketh with him Peter and James and John and began to be um, sore amazed to be very heavy. He said unto them, My soul is exceeding sorrowful unto death. Tarry here and watch. Well, they didn't do a very good job of that, but he was there and he singled them out again. Now let's go to um, John chapter 1. We haven't got to the Gospel of John yet. And you think I'm actually going to quote a, a lot, but I'm actually not going to do just a few little snippets from the Gospel of John. The point I've made many times before, and I'll make it again, and that is, there's hardly anything in the Gospel of John that appears in the other three. It's almost like a totally different part of the life of Jesus. And you can go chapter after chapter after chapter, you won't find it. starts off here, one John 1 verse 1, amazing beginning. In the beginning was the Word, and the Word was with God, and the Word was God. And then later, later on, verse 14, he says, The Word was made flesh, meaning Jesus and dwelt among us, and we beheld his glory, the glory of the only begotten of the Father, full of grace and truth. So he basically said, I was there and I witnessed this. I witnessed the word made flesh. I witnessed the glory of the Lord in a human body. So just looking, just touching on some of those chapters, um, chapter 1 has got about the word, which is not in the other three. And a lot more about the, uh, a lot more about John the Baptist in this chapter than in the others. Talks about Nathaniel under, under the fig tree. We talk about the, the, the wedding at Cana of Galilee when he turned the water into wine, not in the other gospels. Nicodemus chapter three. 
Not in the other three Gospels. Thank goodness John recorded that story. You must be born again. The woman at the well in the next chapter. Not in the other three Gospels. So as I said, this book is really special. And we thank John, anointed of the Holy Spirit of course, but to give us those wonderful things. The Paul at Bethesda, the healing there in the Gospel of John. Chapter 6, eat my body and drink my blood. Caused a lot of controversy in the Gospel of John. The next two or three chapters are all special. Chapter 7, he says, at the last day of the great feast, does anyone thirst come unto me and drink? Only in the Gospel of John. Well, there's lots more. John chapter 14, which is in the the night of the Last Supper, I am the way, the truth, and the life. No man can come to the Father but by me. Oh, there's so much in that chapter about the Comforter. And if you believe you can do anything in mine, there's so much in John. What about the vine? What about my sheep hear my voice and follow me? The devil cometh not but to kill, to steal, and destroy. But I am come that you might have life more abundantly. All in the Gospel of John, not in the other Gospels. He records all these amazing things. Chapter 17, the Lord's Prayer, the real Lord's Prayer, the whole chapter where he prayed, John records all those things. But let's go to John 13, which is the Last Supper, which is again an unusual thing with the Gospel of John compared with the others. And the other three, as you would expect, have got the Last Supper at the end, just before the crucifixion. There's only a couple of chapters thereafter. Not so the Gospel of John. It's right in the middle. John chapter 13 has the Last Supper. But we're nowhere near the end. So everything's recorded after that is between the Last Supper and him dying on the cross. So chapter 14, 15, 16, 17, it doesn't get till 18 that we actually get to the crucifixion. That's just a few hours covered by the Apostle John and we thank you for that. It just says here in chapter 13 and verse 21, so he said here in quoting what Jesus said in verse 21, Verily, verily, I say unto you that one of you shall betray me. Then the disciples looked one on another, doubting of whom he spoke. Who are you talking about? Me? Is it me? Now there was a, there was leaning on Jesus' bosom one of his disciples whom Jesus loved. A peculiar way he describes himself. You might think he's boasting. It's just a reality. That's how it was. What sort of relationship did he have with Jesus? It was unique. I don't think the other eleven had it. Judas certainly didn't have it. They, they just never had. He had a closeness. He had a perception of Jesus. You might have thought the other guys would have said, that's not a very manly thing to do, lean against the Lord like that. The Lord could have repulsed him, but no, he didn't. So John lay against the Lord, and, and that's how it was. He then lying on Jesus' breast in verse 25 saith unto him, unto Jesus, Lord, who is it? And then he goes on to explain Judas. So a unique relationship right there. Chapter 19 of John. So a lot of these chapters I've already vaguely, briefly mentioned. But in John 19, and jump to verse 25, it's funny how each one of the Gospels links up they themselves with the author. Now in the, in the, in the Gospel of Matthew, there's just one little passage on Matthew being called as the tax collector. And how the Lord called him and followed him. Matthew's the only one who records that. Maybe he wants to let you know that that's how he got saved. He puts it in. The other three don't mention that conversion. They mention him, but not that conversion. Then you go to the Gospel of Mark, 
And in the crucifixion, we haven't read it, there was a young man that was naked, except for one garment around him. And right at the time when the disciples were fleeing, somebody grabbed the garment and he ran off naked. Just as a young, it was actually John Mark who wrote the Gospel of Mark. He's the only one that's got that little story in there. Then we have the book of Luke. And Luke goes into great detail who he is in chapter 1, verse 1, 2, 3. Luke, what he was, the physician. And now John describes himself in this unusual way of the one who loved the Lord. So verse uh, John chapter John chapter 19, haven't read that yet, have I? Verse 25. Now there stood by the cross of Jesus his mother and his mother's sister Mary, the wife of Cleopas, and Mary, his Mary Magdalene. By the way, you could have a child, a little girl, and you can call that little girl anything you like as long as it's Mary. That's what I get out of that verse. And when Jesus therefore saw his mother and the disciples standing by whom he loved, now, the other three don't ever recall that any of them came back. Peter standing off cursing the Lord and the cock crowing and all that. But here, one of the disciples came back. We know that now. So all of a sudden, standing next to the cross is John. And again, maybe he had that affinity with the Lord. And he got rewarded, you might say, for that. Talk about a vote of confidence. When you entrust your mother to somebody else's keeping... That's a vote of confidence. And that's what he did here. When Jesus therefore saw his mother and the disciples standing by whom he loved, he said unto his mother, Woman, behold thy son. And then he saith unto John, Behold thy mother. And from that hour that disciple took her into his own home. We don't know what happened beyond that. We know Mary was there when she received the Holy Spirit, like all of them on the day of Pentecost. No record of Mary after that. She would have been a lot older than maybe what they were, certainly a lot older than John, and um, she um, obviously lived out of days with John. Well, he mainly lived in Jerusalem. Doesn't record that he ever got married, but I would assume that he did. There's no reason why John should not have got married. He wasn't travelling like Paul and Barnabas. Mainly lived in Jerusalem. Um, Jesus would have known, because he knows everything, that within a few days... Some of his half-brothers and his half-sisters were going to get converted. On the day of Pentecost, John, sorry, James, his brother got saved, wrote the book of James. Jude, who wrote the book of Jude, he got saved. You would have thought he could have waited till them and said, now you look after mum. He didn't. He gave it to John, making John somebody extra special. John chapter 21, last chapter. When the Lord appeared, when they'd gone back fishing, in verse 5, Jesus appeared on the bank and said, Children, have you any meat? And they answered him, No. He said to them, Cast the net on the right side of the ship, and you shall find. They cast therefore, and now they were, they were not able to draw it to, to in for the multitude of fish. Therefore that disciple whom Jesus loved, again, you could just put the word John there, saith unto Peter, It is the Lord. Out of the, uh, I think there were seven of them there on that day. Out of that seven, one of them recognized the Lord before the Lord before the other six did. Guess who? John. He immediately had that affinity with Jesus Christ that maybe nobody else had. Peter, of course, then talked about what would he be doing in verse at the end of the chapter. The Lord said to Peter, "Don't worry what happens to John. If I decide he's going to live forever, 
or live until I return? What's that to thee? You just get on with your own walk in the Lord. But they thought that John would live forever. Well, he did, eventually, and with, with along with us, but not on earth. He didn't go on. He'd be a very raggedy-looking guy by now. So um, then it says in verse 24, This is the disciple which testifieth of these things and wrote these things, and we know that his testimony is true. And there are also many other things which Jesus did, which if they should be written, everyone, maybe many things that John could have wrote. Uh, I suppose that even the world itself could not contain the books that should be written. Well, he wrote a lot. He wrote a gospel. He wrote, he wrote three epistles and he wrote the book of Revelation. Three totally different sort of things. And even the three epistles are all vastly different. One is a general epistle. One is to a lady. And the other one is to just an individual guy. And then he wrote the book of Revelation, maybe 20 or 30 years after he did the rest. Let's have a look at one mention of, um, before we go to those epistles, in the book of Galatians, in Galatians, Galatians, what am I trying to say? In the book of Galatians, chapter 2, John gets a mention. So this is, later on, the church has been established. Paul and Barnabas have been out preaching for years. They had a great revival, particularly in the Gentile world. And then they go up to see the oversight in Jerusalem. And uh, we just see in Galatians chapter 2, and verse 9, And when James and Cephas and John, who seemed to be the pillars, perceived the grace that was given unto me, they gave to me and Barnabas the right hand of fellowship, that we should go to the heathen, and they shall under the circumcision, under the under the circumcision, should I say. So, how does it describe John along with James? By the way, that's not the James, his brother. This is the James who, um, I've jumped a bit here, by the way. Uh, James, who is um, the uh, Lord's half-brother, 1 verse 9. I've jumped a bit. Go back to Acts chapter 2. Sorry about that. You can't you can't get away so easily. Acts chapter two, and I'm going to put in a name because you could put in there's 120 names you could put in. But talking about John, I'm going to put in one name, and it says here in Acts chapter two and verse four, and John was filled with the Holy Ghost and began to speak with other tongues, as the Spirit gave him utterance, along with the other 119. He was there. I had another little revelation when I got this talk up. Something is so simple, and yet it never ever hit me before. Every author of every book in the New Testament spoke in tongues. You think, well, it goes to that saying, but I never thought of it that way. They were all spirit-filled, they all spoke in tongues. Don't matter which one you pick on, they all spoke in tongues. Not one of the authors of the Old Testament spoke in tongues. They prophesied it, along with lots of others, but they never had that. The New Testament authors were all born again. And uh, what a, what a difference. So just a bit of trivia there. Chapter 3. And of course the two now working together that we mentioned before, healing the man at the gate beautiful. Peter and John, chapter 3 verse 1, went up together to the temple and they raised the guy up. I'll just jump ahead a bit. And then we go to um, chapter, let's jump to chapter 8, just in verse 14 when the great revival amongst the um, Samaritans with Philip. Now when the apostles which were at Jerusalem heard that Samaria had received the word of God, they sent, guess who? 
Peter and John, Peter and John. I had a little thought on that. If it had his way with Jesus and he'd called down fire on that town of Samaritans, they might not have been quite so excited to see him on this occasion. So maybe it was good that the Lord stopped him. No, we're not going to do that. A few years down the track, we're going to have a revival amongst the Samaritans. Um, Acts chapter 12. It does not give any emotion here. It doesn't have to, but it just doesn't. Pretty sad day, maybe particularly for John. And that's in Acts chapter 12 and verse 1. Now about that time Herod the king stretched forth his hand to vex certain of the church and he killed James the brother of John with the sword. Doesn't say what John felt. He must have felt a lot, must he? He was his brother and they'd done everything together, come to the Lord together, spoke in tongues together. You can go on and on and all the times that they were chosen. And now he's been executed. But Peter got saved. It's one of those, I think Grant mentioned that again also today. Can't always work out how things work out. Why did James die and Peter didn't? That's just how it is sometimes. It was time for James, but it wasn't time for Peter later on in the same chapter. Go to First John chapter 1. We talked about him being a pillar of the church in Galatians, along with... Uh, James and Peter. But in 1 John, so there's three epistles written by John. Written a gospel, now he writes three epistles. The first one is a general epistle to all the churches, to all the Christians. And guess what? He starts off again about the Word of God. He must have had a thing about the Word of God, mustn't he? Which is good. That which was from the beginning, that which we have heard, which we have seen with our eyes. See, he could testify, I've seen the Lord. I've, in actual fact, I leant on the Lord, he could have said. I've touched the Lord. I've seen with our eyes, which we have looked upon, our hands have handled, literally, the word of life. For the life was manifested, and we have seen it, and bear witness, and show unto you that eternal life, which was with the Father, and was manifested unto us, so he said, hey, I'm special. Not boasting, I'm just God allowed me to, to do all, to see all those early days. That which we have seen and heard declare we unto you that ye also may have fellowship with us. And truly our fellowship is with the Father and with his Son Jesus Christ. And these things write we unto you that your joy may be full. This then is the message which we have heard of him and declare unto you that God is light. And in him there is no darkness at all. If we say that we have fellowship with him and walk in darkness, we lie and do not the truth. But if we walk in the light, it's a great passage. We often quote this. If we walk in the light, as he is in the light, we have fellowship one with another. The blood of Jesus Christ, his son, cleanses us from all sin. And if we say that we have no sin, we deceive ourselves and the truth is not in us. If we confess our sin, he is faithful and just to forgive us of our sin and to cleanse us from all, all unrighteousness. So the problem is sin, grappling with sin, trying to feel worthy. And you just look at yourself and all your faults, and you think, no, I'm not worthy, nowhere near. But all of a sudden the Lord comes in and says, no, I've cleansed you. You're my child. You're my daughter. You're my son. I've blessed you. If we say that we have not sinned, we make him a lie and his word is not in us. But I did want to mention just verse 1 of the next chapter because it's, not only what he said in chapter 1, sort of the same thing is repeated, but in one verse. 
My little children. He's not young here anymore. He's talk, talking about other people being children. My little children, these things write I unto you that you sin not. And if any man sin, we have an advocate with the Father, Jesus Christ the righteous. Why is that verse so important? First of all, it has what's called the perfect will of God. You don't sin. Don't sin. That's the perfect will of God. But guess what? We do sin. So then we have what's called the permissive will of God. What he will allow. There is another way. I don't want you to sin, but by the way, if you do, we have an advocate that can set you free. So the acceptable or permissive will of God at the end, number one, and it should be our goal to try not to sin. If we do, praise God. Now chapter... Uh, book 3, John 2, is to a lady. I love that. John, the, to this, uh, second epistle of John, verse 1, the elder, it's not a young man anymore, under the elect lady and her children whom I love in the truth. Talks a lot about truth, talks a lot about love, talks a lot about a good testimony, how that her children had come to him in Jerusalem and talked about mum. So he writes her a letter about that experience. John chapter, I keep calling John, third John is to a man called Gaius. Now he was under the pump a bit. He was being persecuted in his own church by a despotic leader. But I'm glad it's here because now and again in the history of Christianity, and I dare say in the history of our own fellowship, there comes a despotic leader, somebody who really shouldn't be there and does things and says things they shouldn't do. But God eventually sorts it out. But here in verse 9, I wrote unto the church, but Diotrephes, now this is, a, this is somebody in the Lord, by the way, this is somebody baptized and spirit-filled, and maybe it starts off being recognized as a leader, but he goes overboard, power-hungry, whatever term you want to use, who loveth to have the preeminence among them, receiveth us not. Wherefore, he said, I'll sort this guy. He's got a lot about love, John, but now he could be tough. Maybe the old sons of thunder was there a little bit, called down fire from heaven was there a little bit. I don't know. If I come, I will remember his deeds, which he doeth, prating against us with malicious words and not content therewith, neither doth he himself receive the brethren and forbiddeth them that would and cast them out of the church. Abuse of power and power hungry, whatever term you, now and again, without going into detail, I've witnessed this myself. And uh, just sort of think, wow, that's not the way to treat the church. That's not the way. There is the thing of discipline, of course, but not an abusive use of it, a threatening of, if you don't do what I say, I'll kick you out of the church sort of thing. And this guy, Diotrephes, was of that nature. Demetrius is mentioned. He said, look, this guy's follow him. He's got it together. There's somebody you can follow and by the way, don't worry about Diotrephes. When I get there, I'll sort him out. I wonder what happened. We don't know. Uh, Revelation. We're going to finish now in Revelation, of course. Just a couple of bits, though. Revelation chapter 1, verse 1. At the top of my page, it talks about the revelation of St. John. It wasn't. It was the revelation of Jesus Christ. The revelation of Jesus Christ which God gave unto him to whom to show unto his servants things which must shortly come to us and he sent and signified it by his, unto his servant John. John's on the end of the list. Not a bad list. He is on the end of the list. He, and the reason that the statement of John being having a revelation is wrong 
because most of the time John had no idea what was going on. He just wrote it down. He didn't know what the Lord, but Jesus knew exactly what was going on. And just in verse 9, I, John, who also am your brother. I like that. He didn't sort of throw his weight around. He said, I'm your brother. The mighty pillar of the early church, the Apostle John, referred to us just as a brother, a sister, not a sister, but brother to our sister. Oh, I'm getting complicated here. A companion in tribulation and in the kingdom and patience of Jesus Christ, which is, which in the Isle that was called Pat- Patmos, the word of the Lord for the testimony of Jesus Christ. He said, I'm here because I'm being persecuted. I go through tribulation as well. I know what you're going through. They've stuck me on this island. We think it was around 95 AD, maybe 20 years after the last of the other books were written. I don't know. Big gap. But what we do know is that this is the last bit. Nothing else was written that we call the divine word of God after this book. So that's it. And the Lord knew that and saved John, kept him alive. Again, I think makes my point that John was very young when he originally got called. Um Oh, just in verse 17. Uh, when I saw him, I fell at his feet as dead. John goes through a lot of emotion when he's going writing the book of Revelation, often have no idea what he's writing. And uh, here we see the whole thing was very overwhelming. He's an old man, by the way. An old guy, most probably about 79. I wonder how old that is. <coughs> Who knows? An old man. And... Uh, no wonder he found it difficult at times to to handle it all. Uh, let's go to chapter 5, just grabbing a couple of bits. Certainly not going to go through the prophecies of Revelation. <coughs> Excuse me. Revelation 5. The, the story of the, the Word of God, and nobody was able to break the seal. Um, verse 3 will do, And no man in heaven nor on earth, neither under earth, was able to open the book, neither to look thereon. And this is how John reacted to that. I wept much. I wept much in verse 4, because no man was found worthy to open and read the book, neither to look thereon. Then, of course, it's revealed that Jesus, the Lamb, the crucified. I just want to mainly read it. It was John's reaction to the fact that nobody could read the book. In chapter 10, nearly there, by the way, start the engines, ready to go home. John chapter, uh, Revelation chapter 10, just in verse 8. And the voice which I heard from heaven spoke unto me again and said, Go and take, now it's called a little book. Why was it called a little book in prophecy? It was when the Bible got printed. It used to be a big book when it was handwritten, but now part of the prophecy of the book of Revelation, the little book is the printed translation often into other languages. Go and take the little book which is open in the hand of the angel which standeth upon the sea and upon the earth. And I went unto the angel and said unto him, Give me the little book. And he said unto me, Take it and it will be sweetness and bitterness and so on, which it was. So he ate it. He ate the word of God. Good message in that. And that's pretty well the way it is in our walk in the Lord. There's good and there's bad. There's high times and low times. There's times when it just seems like we're already in heaven and then we sing the hymn, Heaven is better than this. Why? Because something's gone wrong. And we, we've got to walk with the Lord. But what we do know is that John loved the Word of God. And when he was told to eat it, he did so. 
chapter 17, which is the chapter on the Roman Catholic Church. And uh, he got told off here because he, he didn't, proving again, he didn't always understand what was going on. So all the glory that he saw here of Mystery Babylon, the harlot church and so on, he thought it was lovely. Oh, what a wonderful thing to look at. Verse 6, I saw the woman drunken with the blood of the saints and with the blood of the, of the martyrs of Jesus. And when I saw her, I wondered with great admiration. And the angel said unto me, Wherefore didst thou marvel? I will tell thee the mystery of the woman and of the beast which carried her. And so he goes on. So not wasn't always quite on the right page on these things, but overall, of course, he got the gist of it. Chapter 22. We finally got to the last chapter. Can't go any further. John 22. Just a couple of bits of John 22. John 22 and verse 8. He says, I, John, saw these things and heard them. And when I heard and had seen, I fell down to worship before the feet of the angel which showed me these things. And he said unto me, See, thou do it not, for I am thy fellow servant, and of thy brethren the prophets, and of them which have kept the sayings of this book, worship God. Remind you of another story, Cornelius falling down in front of Peter. Peter saying, don't do that, I'm just like you. And again here, John being overwhelmed. And when you read the book of Revelation, wow, no wonder he was overwhelmed. Didn't fully understand. Maybe I'd almost dare to say he didn't hardly understand any of it. But he recorded it. And here he just thinks, wow, I'm going to fall down before this guy. And he said, no, don't do that. I'm like you. I'm a servant of the Lord. And the last couple of verses... Verse 7 and we'll go to. The Spirit and the Bride say, Come. Let him that heareth say, Come. Let him that is the thirst come. Whosoever will, let him take of the water of life freely. And that's our message online and in our hall here tonight. Come to the Lord. He's got the answer to everything you'll ever wish for. And, he's, and the Spirit and the Bride say, Come. We read verse 18. I testify unto every man that heareth the words of the prophecy of this book, if any man shall add unto these things, God shall add unto him the plagues that are written in this book. When you read about the plagues in the book of Revelation, you don't want them added to you. And if any man shall take away from the words of the book of this prophecy, God will take away his part. Well, that is have to be the biggest punishment anybody could ever receive, to have your name taken out of the book of life and out of the holy city and from the things which are written in this book. He which testifieth these things, talking about Jesus, Surely said, surely I come quickly. Amen. Even so come, Lord Jesus, the grace of God. Before I read verse 21, we started off with John as a fisherman, a young boy, born and bred in a fishing family. Dad was a fisherman. Brother was a fisherman. So on and so forth. Becoming a disciple. First of all, making lots of mistakes. And the Lord instructing him. Then on the day of Pentecost, still only young, maybe in his early 20s, receiving the Holy Spirit, links up with the Apostle Peter, does great things, and then bit by bit becomes recognized as a great pillar of the church at Jerusalem. Has to deal with things like Diotrephes. Has to write letters to come encourage people and so on. And then that all comes and goes and all the other disciples go. One by one they die, mostly nearly all martyred. His own brother was the first of the twelve to die. And all of a sudden he's on his own and he gets 
by the Romans who gather, put on this island off the coast of Turkey called Patmos. And while he's there, he starts having all these amazing visions. What an amazing person John was, and we're so thankful for all the things that he did and all the people said. Amen. 